0: Section fifty one of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Locke of Floyd, Virginia. The World's Story, Volume Two, India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section fifty one the coronation in durbar of nineteen eleven by john finnamore the first peep of dawn on the great day of the durbar the day when the king and queen of england were to be proclaimed emperor and empress of india saw vast crowds of people swarming out of delhi to seek places in the huge amphitheatre whence they might view the wondrous scene as the light grew so the crowds thickened they came from all directions and many had come great distances for people were there from every corner of india another great throng streamed from the vast durbar camp and all met on the wide plain where the king emperor's durbar was to be held here two amphitheatres with sloping banks had been built one small and one large the small one was an open half-circle twelve hundred feet long from point to point and facing north the larger one was also a semicircle, half a mile long from point to point facing south looking into the small amphitheatre and partly surrounding it this huge sweep was a vast mound of earth covered in part with seats and also affording standing room for great crowds of spectators the smaller amphitheatre was roofed and here were gathered the princes and chiefs who had come to do homage to their emperor the officials who rule india the guests and the great people the larger was unroofed and as it swiftly filled the sun shone on brilliant pools and masses of colour relieved by broad bands of white and cream where a throng of moslems had gathered in their spotless robes at one point a great number of children had been seated and each division wore its own colour so that the vast group looked like a lovely mosaic picked out in many shades but it was upon the splendour of the smaller amphitheatre that all eyes were turned and especially upon its centre where a large canopied platform projected upon this platform stood two splendid throne chairs facing the people who sat in the small amphitheatre this was the place where the king emperor would receive the homage of his feudatory princes this dais was shaded by a canopy supported by sixteen golden pillars the roof of the canopy was of rich crimson velvet the inner lining of beautiful and costly silks yet this was not the spot where the emperor and empress would face their people and be shown to all as the rulers of india a much loftier dais had been erected midway between the two horns of the small amphitheatre this the great throne dais was a series of platforms narrowing like a pyramid until the small topmost platform was reached and here were placed two magnificent thrones glittering in crimson and gold the dais was crowned by a golden dome and this shining splendour marked the central point of the great day and the wonderful scene the inner part of the small amphitheatre was kept clear it was an open stretch of smooth green lawns with wide clean gravel paths running through them but the open space between the throne dais and the great amphitheatre was filled with masses of troops drawn from every branch of the durbar army and beyond the serried array of soldiery rose the huge outer ring with its marvellous living tapestry as if some vast and many-coloured shawl had been draped along the slope of the great mound as the morning grew older the seats in the small amphitheatre swiftly filled till all had taken their places and the most splendid assembly which the world can show had been completely mustered the radiance and beauty of this gathering of princes was marvellous it was a sea of rich and delicate colouring as the light played on gorgeous robes of golden and silver brocade shot with every hue of the rainbow and decked with magnificent jewels with diamonds pearls rubies emeralds for which the farthest corners of ancient treasure-houses had been ransacked for which in other days princes had made war upon each other and armies had met in mortal combat most of the princes wore an outer robe of honour made of pure cloth of gold or of cloth of gold shot with silver beneath this pliant metal was often a sheen of rose or green or orange which was scarcely visible in the full sunlight but lent an exquisite richness to the owner's lightest movement beneath the shade of the roof above or beneath this outer robe were the jewels of the princely house generally ropes of filbert-shaped pearls in festoons of ten twelve or fifteen at a time besides these necklets of diamonds emeralds and rubies sparkled upon head-dress and sword-hilt upon brooch and button and shoulder-knot in comparison with the splendour of the native princes the dresses of the european ladies present were quite outshone they seemed swallowed up beside this softly moving radiance of silken and golden magnificence the native ladies were of course not to be seen at the back of the amphitheatre were several enclosures guarded by close lattices from these the wives of princes and other great native ladies watched the durbar and no other durbar have so many native ladies been present and the delhi durbar is noted for the elaborate arrangements which have been made to enable zenana ladies to see the stately pageant at eleven o'clock the massed band sixteen hundred strong which had been performing selections of music ceased playing a thrill ran through every spectator conversation ceased all were on the alert the durbar was about to begin the wild scream of bagpipes was heard in the distance and kilted troops swung into the arena it was a guard of honor from the black watch to be posted at the throne dais the highlanders were followed by a second guard of honor furnished by native troops tall soldierly sikhs who were posted opposite the first guard a third guard of honor was composed of sailors and marines now the troops in the arena burst into a tempest of cheers a band of old men some in uniform some in civilian dress were marching slowly into the arena they were veterans both british and indian and more than a hundred of them had fought in the great mutiny scarce had the old warriors gained their places than the troops sprang to attention the viceroy was coming into the arena swept the carriage of the man lord harding who rules india for the king as the carriage drew up at the canopy dais the whole vast assembly rose and stood in their honour as the governor-general and lady harding were conducted to their places now there was a short wait and every eye was strained towards the point where the central figures of this most wonderful pageant would appear suddenly the guns began to roar it was the royal salute they were firing and the king and queen were near at hand one hundred and one times the thunder of the saluting cannon rang out and at every discharge six pieces were fired together then came in sight the bobbing white helmets of hussars still at the trot and next a battery of artillery pounded along every scrap of steel polished till it shone out like a mirror then more hussars big splendid sikh lancers clad in scarlet three tall lifeguardsmen in glittering cuirasses and next the imperial carriage which moved slowly after it entered the arena the emperor and empress now made their progress through ranks of saluting troops and past great bodies of cheering spectators until they gained the canopied dais their reception was tremendous from the moment they came into sight until they had gained the dais the whole vast assembly was on its feet greeting them with a thunderous roar of welcome at the dais they were received by the governor-general and the great officials and were conducted up the crimson carpeted steps to the splendid throne chairs pages of honor in most gorgeous dresses bore their majesty's trains and draped them over the steps of the dais when the emperor and empress were seated these boys were of the noblest blood of india two of them rulers in their own right the Maharajas of bharapur and jodhpur the others being heirs of princely houses permission was now asked of the king-emperor that the durbar might begin it was given and was signified by the shrill sweet music of a fanfare of trumpets and a tattoo on the drums a tattoo which began with a soft mutter that swelled to a thunderous roll and died away amid a profound silence the king-emperor was seen to rise and all remained standing while he delivered a short speech in which he expressed his pleasure at being able to visit india and to announce in person that he had come to the throne and to receive for himself the loyal homage of the indian princes he promised to maintain indian rights and privileges and prayed for the welfare of the country when the imperial speech was ended the ceremony of offering homage began at once at the head of those who approached the throne were the governor-general and his council the men who govern india next came the ruling chiefs led by the nizam of hyderabad the gaikwar of Baroda, the Maharajas of mysore and kashmir then came the proud procession of the rajput chiefs the gentlemen of asia led by the ruler of jaipur wearing the chief treasure of his house the most costly necklace in india the little ruler of jodhpur slipped from his post among the pages beside the throne and came in his place among the chiefs to do homage he was resplendent in dazzling cloth of gold and wore hanging over his right eye a richly jewelled miniature of his grandfather Another tiny chief was the boy ruler of Bahawalpur clad in deep crimson heavily embroidered with gold and with waving plumes thick with flashing diamonds so they passed in gorgeous brocades or shimmering cloth of gold the chiefs of central India of baluchistan of Sikkim far in the northern highlands amidst this glittering procession of princes one figure caught every eye that of the only woman who rules in india the begum of bhopal whose presence at the coronation in london the june before was well remembered she was wrapped from head to foot in a robe of gold lacework and wore a rich crown of gold filigree as she passed the empress leaned a little forward to greet her after the ruling chiefs had gone by the representatives of the various provinces did homage and with each province came the native rulers who are under the control of the province the provinces were led by madras the oldest of them all clive's province and among the native chiefs was the ruler of Travancore. the ropes upon ropes of most magnificent pearls which he wore caused quite a sensation but then he rules over the great pearl fisheries of the south and for generations the divers have been seeking these treasures of the sea for his family next came the bombay province and among its princes was the jam of nawanagar once prince ranjitsingi the ranji beloved on english cricket-fields and still they came province after province each with its band of feudatory chiefs until the last of the long procession had filed by it took forty minutes for these rulers to pass their overlord now came the moment for the great event of the day the showing of the emperor and empress to their indian subjects the proclaiming of their imperial rank up to this time you must remember they had been seated on the smaller dais the canopy dais which faced the small amphitheatre where the princes were gathered here the ceremony of homage which had just concluded was performed but behind their majesties was standing the great throne dais between the horns of the little amphitheatre and facing the open arena and the great amphitheatre the mass of people on the latter had seen but little of the ceremony of homage but now the emperor and empress were about to mount on high to take their seat on the lofty throne dais to be seen of all men leaving the smaller dais the king emperor led the queen empress by the hand along a raised way which led to the great throne dais a brilliant procession was formed the trains of the magnificent robes of state worn by the king and queen were borne by the splendidly dressed pages and a glittering array of attendants escorted them to the high raised thrones below the golden dome to shield them from the strong sunshine scarlet and gold umbrellas of state were held above their heads and many rich emblems of authority were borne in their train when the throne dais was reached the ascent was made slowly and as it was made the ascending group thinned until the great figures of the day stepped on high alone there were four platforms to this dais each platform being like a broad step of a pyramid on the first platform the guard of honour was posted on the second platform the attendants were left on the third platform the great officers came to a stand and now stepping up the king emperor and queen empress gained the fourth and topmost dais and stood there alone facing the vast mass of people their faces to the north whence they had come it was the climax of the day the crowning monument of all the pomp and circumstance of the great ceremony alone in most gorgeous robes crowned with light surrounded by a chosen and splendid retinue their majesty stood out the centre of a sea of faces the focus of the blessings and devotion of a myriad of human beings all swayed and bent by one common impulse as the wind sways the corn overhead the rich crimson and gold of the spreading canopy fitly framed the scene within the pavilion and a special richly embroidered shamiana was suspended above their imperial majesties' heads the phrase of a very very ancient indian writer came into the mind as one watched one could understand his quaint words that the glory of the emperor spread round about like the sound of a great gong rung in the canopy of the skies now came a veritable scene of romance the proclamation itself from the massed bands in the arena a loud burst of music rang out with bugles pealing and drums rolling there muttered thunder from the plain beyond came faint sweet silver clear notes in reply then there rode into the arena the tall stately figure of a herald the royal standard blazoned on his tabard glittering in the sun and attended by a native herald and twenty-four trumpeters there were twelve british and twelve indian trumpeters all rode white horses and blew loud fanfares on their silver trumpets as they rode round the arena and drew up before the throne here the first herald read in english the proclamation of the coronation of king george and his magnificent voice rolled far across the wide arena then the second herald a great punjab magnate repeated the proclamation in the native tongue out rang the silver trumpets once more and the first notes of god save the king swelled from the massed bands the cannon thundered in salute the troops in the arena presented arms all rose and stood the king emperor had been proclaimed in the great Durbar. on roared the salute of one hundred and one guns and in the intervals the troops beyond the amphitheater fired a feu de joie a rattle of musket free passing down the long lines posted from the durbar ground to the imperial tents below the ridge when the thunder of the guns had died away and the clouds of smoke had drifted over the viceroy advanced and announced the will and pleasure of the emperor the chief points were that in token of this great day a large sum of money should be devoted to education in india that the victoria cross should be open to indian as well as british troops and that certain prisoners and debtors should be set free from prison after this announcement had been made the chief harold swiftly wheeled his horse round rose in his stirrups, waved his helmet above his head and called for three cheers for the king-emperor the response was tremendous the vast multitude gave vent to their excitement and delight in a roar of applause which rang to the very skies surely never yet did any monarch of the world listen to so whole-hearted a greeting in which so many people and races took part in all owning his sway then the second herald called for cheers for the queen-empress and again there broke forth a wildly enthusiastic outburst of deafening acclaim when the cheering died down within the arena it was heard travelling away in the distance as the troops and crowds beyond the amphitheatre took it up and the volume of sound rolled down to the great camp below the ridge there was still one thrilling moment to come in this stirring day when the king and queen had left their lofty thrones and returned to the canopied dais the king rose and made an announcement which took every one by surprise as a rule all that the chief figures have to say and do on such occasions is well known beforehand and no one dreams of anything unexpected but of the last announcement the secret had been kept in most wonderful fashion and when the king said that the capital of india was to be transferred from calcutta to delhi he was heard in open-mouthed wonder he spoke also of changes to be made in the shaping of provinces but these were almost lost in thinking of the great and striking decision which restored its former glory to the mistress of india this thrilling announcement made by the king emperor himself formed a fitting close to a thrilling occasion it was received as its importance demanded people looked at each other in swift surprise then in a flash the whole vast audience was aflame with enthusiasm and deafening and prolonged cheers arose the durbar was now closed and the rulers left the arena at a walking pace amid the cheers of the populace who hailed their emperor and empress with delight presently the magnificent procession disappeared through a western opening in the arena and the durbar was over it had been a glorious and undimmed success in which the chief actors had played their parts with a quiet simple dignity which won the respect and regard of all beholders End of section 51. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jim Locke.